Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much. I'm just so amazed at your goodness. I'm so amazed at your love for us, Lord. Just a privilege to be here today, Lord, and I thank you, Lord. Lord, as I get ready to get into your word, as we get ready to open your word, Lord, I just ask, Lord, that you would just speak to us, Lord. Your Holy Spirit would minister to us, Lord, that you would read here a message, Lord, that would be from you. These words on the page, they mean nothing, Lord. We want to hear from you today, Lord. So as we look at this story, as we get into John chapter 12, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that Lord, there would be something in there, Lord, that would just really encourage us, Lord. And if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would hear the gospel truth. They would hear how much you love for them and what you did for them. So, Lord, we thank you, Lord. Just speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm excited for this new classroom. So this is our first time having it. So we're going to see how it works because that wall right there is not very big. So we're going to see how well the sound works today and it will be our first time. So pray it works well because I don't want to like build anything else. (laughs) So last week's message, who remembers it? It's a great message. Are we to die as Jesus? Who remembers that message last week? I asked everyone that question, that title of that message, as we looked at John chapter 12, verses 20 through 36. So how'd that go? How was your week? Were you able to apply that question this week? Did you wake up every day in prayer? Spiritually speaking, were you able to die to oneself each and every day? How'd it go this week? Then as your day went on hour by hour, were were you able to live in perfect obedience to God? Were you each hour able to become more Christ-like? How'd it go? Now last week, we learned this, right? We learned that we're supposed to live each day for Jesus. And I asked everyone, are we to die as Jesus? We saw through scripture, the answer is yes. We are to die as Jesus each day as a living sacrifice. So did each one of you do it this week? Each and every day? How'd it go? All right. I thought. So we know that, right? We know we're supposed to go to the cross each day, right? Lay down our lives just as Jesus did. Giving our lives to Jesus. Now, I'll tell you. I try hard every day to do this. Right? I was preaching. I try. This is my goal. Each and every day to go there and just give myself my every, all I am as a living sacrifice. But I'll tell you, a lot of times I don't do a very good job at it. As the hours progress during the day, it just falls apart many days with me. So as I was sitting there asking you all them questions, I want you to know, nobody's, we're not perfect at this. But as we learn in God's word, we see This is the lesson for us. This is what we're supposed to look at each day as we wake up, as we're presented and gifted a new day. As we lift our voices in the morning in prayer to the Lord, this is what we are to try to do. Now, I fail at it all the time. I do. But I keep trying each hour. Sometimes i got to restart my day several times in the day. Um, But this is one of the reasons, as I was talking about this, that we we need to come and fellowship with others. This is why we need to attend church, because not only do we learn how to walk as Christians, 
But we're also reminded sometimes of how, as Christians, we are to be. Because I need, I don't know about you, but I, even me, I study, I need encouraged. I need to hear it. I need to be with others. I need to talk about my trials and my praises and my prayers with others, just like we did earlier. As we heard Wawa share about that, that as we heard other prayer requests, this is why we need to be here, because we need prayer. We need others to be praying for us. So I know that I'm going to start this next week, just like I said, as a living sacrifice. I'm going to get up Monday morning. I'm going to be like, God, I'm here. You know, by 8 o'clock, I'll probably have to repent to something, I'm sure. But it's important we set time apart each week to spend with God. You know, because when we, today, we're all here today, but when we walk out that door there, we walk into the mission field for all of us. No matter who you are, you're walking into the mission field as soon as you walk out there. And we will take what we learn here and apply it to our lives, hopefully, out there and live out the plan that God has for each and every one of us. Because I'll tell you, when we get out that door, we get beat up. Sometimes the world, it's hard. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I do. I get tore. I just, Satan's after me out there. And I get beat up. I get tired. And I can come in here and just, it's truly a place of refuge for me. Now, I know some of you really have the same effect, right? You're, you're tired. You show up here. You're like, I've been a rough week all week. I'm here. And maybe some of you look at me. How do you know that? You ever wondering how I know that you're really tired and need like a refilling? Because I see some of you are so beat up when you get here, so exhausted, it ain't long that you just pass out. Just joking with you guys. Anyways, no, it's great that, oh, because this is the time that we can spend with God. And I know that uh, as I was joking there, some of you, you know, fall asleep sometimes. And it is amazing, though, because truly when you come to a place that you are so comfortable, you can truly just relax it's a good thing. So I'm glad you're all here. So let's get into God's word before any of you fall into your meditative state. And we're going to continue today in John chapter 12. So everyone turn to John chapter 12. All right. We're going to start off right where we left off last week. John chapter 12, verse 37. But despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. The truth is, when you look at this verse and you read this, that no matter what Jesus did, right, we see, we've read all the miracles, we've seen all of his teaching, there was still some that would not come to believe. Now, if you read this, this is John here, and I think John, in writing this, is looking or examining the people's overall response of unbelief to Jesus. So think about that. He's trying, I, I think Jesus is trying to really reconcile why the people refused to come to belief in Jesus. John, he had first-hand knowledge, right? He was walking with Jesus. And that, as you read this, I think that he's trying to express, like, an answer to just why. Why didn't these people believe? I mean, they, they saw Jesus playing, perform many, many miraculous signs in order to prove who he was. But even Jesus was unsuccessful in bringing everyone to faith. So think about that as we get going. Have, now, many of you, I don't know, 
if you're like me or not, but I have asked this question. Have you ever asked your question, why or what could I have done to bring people to faith? Why or what could I have done to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ? Have you ever asked that question? I think it's possible. We don't know exactly, but I think it's possible that John is maybe wrestling with this question as he's writing this here. I, you know, I admit at times I personally, I listen to the whole part of this. I feel responsible at times for other people's faith or lack of is really the better word to say that. I'm not saying that's right. We're going to get into that. But I do sometimes feel responsible for the people's lack of faith at times. It's hard sometimes to see a person, right? And they're struggling. They're struggling with sin, perhaps. And you know, you know the answer is Jesus. You know the answer is the Holy Spirit living within them. Yet, for some reason, I see it right next to me. And I I cannot seem to find a way to describe to them or lead them to faith in Jesus Christ, even though I know that's the answer. So sometimes I feel a little responsibility. I mean, we see, we see them, these people, that they're not, they're unbelievers. We see the signs of Jesus all throughout their lives. We see Jesus working in their lives. We see Jesus calling them to a faith. But these people sometimes still refuse to believe. So sometimes I ask myself, maybe you ask yourself this question too, is why? Why or what is preventing them from coming to faith in Jesus Christ? In the next verses, we're going to see John explain and reflect on these people's unbelief. So let's continue. We're going to go to verse 38. This is exactly what Isaiah the prophet had predicted. Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord reviewed his powerful arm? John has taken us back into God's word. All the way back to Isaiah. He's, we see through this prophecy in Isaiah, the people's unbelief that he's speaking of was already foretold of. Now, in fact, these people's unbelief was not only foretold of, but really what these people's unbelief did is it, for, it fulfilled the prophecy, right? It fulfilled the prophecy. Now, as John would read this scripture in Isaiah, and he saw the people's unbelief, And I think John probably felt the same way that we would feel when we see the people around us that are unbelievers. I would feel a, I I personally feel a deep hurt or a longing for the lost. I'm sure John obviously felt the same way. Now, as he read this prophecy, maybe he felt comforted. Maybe comfort isn't the right word. I don't know if that comforts Maybe he had a, a better understanding, a personal understanding of why so many people would not come to faith in Jesus. Why so many people would not accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Reading this prophecy in Isaiah, knowing that God already knew and prophesied that this would happen. This is not new. Remember, John is writing this letter. It's hindsight, or he's looking back at the events that have already taken place. And so as he's looking back, he's questioning and looking at their unbelief and seeing as Jesus had performed all the miracles, and yet there was still unbelief. He knew he was there. Jesus had revealed himself to the people, and yet the people still didn't believe. You know what's amazing as we talk about this and look at this? God knew all of this was happening. God knew the people, still many of them would not believe. Yet God 
still chose to send his son. Think about that as we look on to the next verses. And just keep that always in the back of your mind that God knew what would happen and still did it just for us. Let's look at verses 39 through 40. But the people couldn't believe, for as Isaiah also said, the Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. So their eyes cannot see and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and have me heal them. Difficult scripture, huh? Very difficult. When God reveals himself to a person, a process begins in that person's life. God is reaching out to them. And in time, that person is either going to accept that calling from the Lord, or they're not. This passage tells us this invitation, it's not open-ended. Um, it's not open-ended that when God calls, they can just refuse that, and maybe later again, God will call again. It says here in this scripture, God will blind their eyes and harden their hearts to the point they will not be able to turn to Jesus. That's tough to read, isn't it? Now, I don't know how long God gives a person or exactly how this takes place or how this happens. But when God calls, answer. Answer that call. Because we're warned here, there's a chance he may not call again. This is scary, right? Very scary. I mean, this is a tough scripture to preach on. If a person resists the light of Jesus long enough, they can become blinded to the truth and their hearts hardened to the truth of Jesus Christ. Again, if you have not answered that call from Jesus, do it. Answer the call. Now we're going to get a little more into this and we'll clarify this as we go on. But let's continue right now in verse 41. Verse 41. Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he said this because he saw the future and spoke of the Messiah's glory. So this prophecy has been fulfilled. Jesus, Jesus himself, manifestation of God, came down. His own works, miracles, his own words, and even the first-hand accounts, the disciples' testimonies, didn't change the hearts of some men. They still did not, many did not come to believe. Now, Jesus, he presented all the evidence needed that he was a Messiah. But these people simply refused to believe. This is what has led Jesus to accept their choice, their choice of unbelief. And then there's consequence. And the consequence was, is God turned that calling away from them. Now, I want to be very clear. God has never prevented anyone from coming to faith. Hear this clearly. God has never prevented anyone from coming to faith, but allows free will. So try to understand. And in time, God acknowledges each and every one of our choices. Right? He acknowledges it. Either belief or unbelief. And whatever that choice is, God will acknowledge it and he will allow it. And in turn, when we make these decisions, when we make these choices, it leads to consequences. Whatever them consequences are of the choices that we make. 
Now, we see many times in the Bible this happening. If you remember back in Exodus chapter 9, we see Pharaoh. Remember the story? Many of you know the story of Pharaoh. He refused to believe. And eventually, God hardened his heart. Let's look at another one. Let's turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Romans 1, 24 and 25. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worship and serve the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. I won't read verse 26. You can read that on your own. We have little people around. So we see in this passage that God allowed them to do, allowed people to do whatever they pleased. They have free will. We can make the decisions. But because of the people's sins, because of their unbelief, the scripture is clear. God let them make their choice. It's difficult. Look at verses 42 through 43. Many people did believe in him. However including some of the Jewish leaders. But they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. 43. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. You know, John, when I read this passage, did you see this? He said, how do you say it? Many people. He's so nice, John. He knows some of these people, right? Who are these people? We know them. He could have given some of these, their names even right here. We know them from the Bible. So which, which names do we know in the Bible right here that he's talking about even? Remember Nicodemus? Now, here are the rest. Remember Joseph? Now we know these people, these, these leaders later came to a faith. We know both of them. That's why we know their name. <laughs> right? So both of them did come to faith. But how many people don't we know the names of? Right? We know Joseph, and this is Nicodemus, but how many people never came forward? How many of them people were there and heard Jesus? Said, I believe, but never said anything. We don't know their names. You know what's scary? They never came forward and declared Jesus as their Lord. And we know, as they, we don't know their names, Jesus doesn't either. And that's scary. That's very scary truth. Look at verse 43. Look at that. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. You know, this this scripture, this passage, it's very true today. And I think, as in Jesus' time, it's one of the saddest one of the saddest verses to read it and to think about that. To think that a person heard the gospel. Say today. They heard it. They believed it. They believed in Jesus. They believed Jesus died on the cross. They believed that he rose again. They believed, yet they refused to surrender their lives to him because they feared man more than God. This is sad. This happened in Jesus' time. It happens today. Let's look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, 
I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Verse 33. But everyone who denies me here on earth will also, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Now, I don't want anyone to misunderstand. If you say Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, if you have come to faith in Jesus, and you say you believe in Jesus, we are to publicly announce that. We are to proclaim that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Now, I'm not saying... you. We have to be careful with that. Because I know some people that could be deeply, you know, in their side of their countries, they could get in trouble for that. But if, if they are going to say that I will never publicly announce that I follow Jesus, this verse is scary, this Matthew 10, 32. And as we continue, beware of this. It's scary stuff about this. The people that we know. Now, as we get into this next section, it's kind of interesting. Um, I read a lot of different things, but basically what's happening, this is kind of a a, a different, a, not transformation, but a, a different ministry in a sense as we get on to the next verses. It's kind of, it's not the end of Jesus' ministry because he's still going to preach, but it's the last sermon that we see Jesus talk to the crowds out in the public. So it's interesting, this is nearing the end of Jesus' public ministry. This, that we're going to read here shortly, is possibly... The last time Jesus spoke openly to the crowds outside the temple. So you'll see later as we go on in the next weeks and months that Jesus does preach inside the temple. But this is the last time out in the public that we really read and study on that Jesus is actually speaking to the the people, the public people out in the crowds. So let's start and look at that in verse 44. Jesus shouted to the crowds, If you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. So Jesus has something to say. Do you see in that verse? Look at that verse. How did he say it? How is he going to say that? It says, what well, he shouted, right? It says here. Now, the New Living Translation, which I'm leaving, I'm teaching out of right now, and some of you have says shouted. Now, gownsend has got the King James in front of him, and it says cried, right? If you guys, some of you guys are looking at that. I don't know what it says in Burmese. Um, most of the other translations use the word cried instead of shouted. Uh, you can look it up. I looked this up. They're trying to describe, I mean, these translators are taking this Greek word, and they're trying to describe how Jesus is presenting this message he has for the crowd. Now, I looked it up in Greek, and I'm not sure that this word shouted is even close to correct. And I don't think cried is even close to correct. When you look it up in the Greek. And it's not that either one of them is a bad translation. I don't think we have a word in the English language that adequately describes how Jesus is delivering this message. Maybe there's a better Myanmar word. I don't know. But if, I'm going to listen to the definition of the word in the Greek. So it says, as a raven, to scream. It says, to call aloud, to shriek. To exclaim, to cry out. Now, I don't know what word single, I don't think shouting obviously is the proper definition. Yes? So this was more than shouting, it was more than crying out. This was a, 
passionate. I mean, shrieking. Think when do you, when you're shouting or crying out or saying something, when do your, when does your voice crack or when does it shriek? Emotion. It's emotion. That's what causes. I think this is, this is a passionate, emotion filled, pleading cry that was disrupted with Jesus's voice breaking up with tears to the point of choking out his voice as he was saying it. That's my own definition. I think I got it right. I don't know an English word to describe all that without in one word. But I think we all can imagine that. It's like a person trying to talk at a funeral, right? It's hard because you keep, you know, you're trying to say something, but you just, the tears, the emotion, it's difficult. And I think this is, when it says Jesus shouted to the crowds, this is how Jesus was speaking. This was passionate, emotional, so much so that it said, in the, in the Greek definition, it said it shrieked. And it, it gives an example of a raven. So that's interesting. Declaring. So, again, declaring. That's, it's de- Perfect. Now, imagine, as we've heard the Myanmar definition of declaring, and we've heard the couple English words that are used, but imagine, as we look into these next scriptures, how Jesus is presenting this message to the crowds. In this very manner, I believe Jesus is pleading to these people and declaring and shouting and crying, but all with extreme passion. So let's, I'm going to, you know, I usually, I go always go verse by verse, right? I, as I read this and I studied this, I think I got to put this whole thing together, just as Jesus did. Now, I don't do a good monologue. I think that's the right word to use, right? When you try to read something in the proper context and, but I'm going to try just to read it somewhat close to maybe how Jesus would have read this. Because I think to get the point of this, we must look at it this way. So look at verses 45 through 50. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world, so that all who put trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I will not judge those who hear me, but obey me. For I have come to save the world, not to judge it. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life. So I say whatever the Father tells me to say. I know I didn't do a very good job probably pronouncing that the way Jesus did, but use your imagination a little bit and imagine Jesus saying that in that manner. Jesus answers many questions that people may have inside of that scripture. He answers who he is. He answers why he has come. And he also answers by who he has come. Jesus Jesus states very, very clearly his purpose. He's very forthright in this. He let us know he is the answer to our sin problem. And that during this time that Jesus was present, he was there to save. Now, I want to look back at these passages. Look at back, especially this whole set of scripture today. 
verses 37 through 50. Looking back at that, as you have your Bibles open, what do you think the main theme is as we've been looking at that today? What are the main points that you would see? What lessons, you got it, what lessons do you see in here that you could take and apply to your week today? Now, there's some words that are repeated very often, isn't there? What word do you guys see most often? I heard it. Believe. It's in there. The, word, the first word that I see the most is believe. It's all through there. Which means what? So if that's, if that's the biggest word in there, what does to believe mean? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Trust. Now, we're going to get into some definite definitions here and talk about what it means to believe. But I want to explain something. So we, we see this word. We want to expound on the word believe, right? We want to understand it better. So the best way to do that, as I, I always say, if you want to understand a scripture or a word, the best way, where's the best, the best commentary to look at? The Bible. The first place we should always look to understand is the Bible. So you start with the word that you're wondering about or the passage. And then, if you don't quite understand it, or maybe you just want a better understanding, you read the verses before, then you read the verses after. Many times you'll have your answer there, a better definition. But maybe not. So then you should continue. Maybe you should read this section before, then this section after, and hopefully then you'll find what you're looking for. So let's kind of try this. So look at the word believe in verse 42. Many people did believe in him. Now, if we start reading the verses before and after, we can start to define the word believe, what it means to believe in Jesus. Or we can also know how we are to believe. So look at the verses before and after. What do we see? I see we must trust in Jesus if we believe. If you look at them verses. I see in the verses that we must turn to Jesus if we believe. You see it in there? I see if we are, we are saved if we believe. You see it there? I see we must admit or confess Jesus is our Savior if we believe. You see it there? I see we must love God more than man if we believe. You see it in there? I see that we will have eternal life if we believe. I see if we know Jesus, we know he is God if we believe. I see we know that it is by God's authority that Jesus did what he did if we believe. That's an important one. I see we know there's a judgment for those that don't believe, if we believe. I could keep going. There's more in there. There's more in there. But I would like to stop there and ask that God would show you personally what it is for you to believe. If there's any areas in your life, maybe this is where we get in the application of this. Is there any areas in your life that speaks or tells a different story to others than that we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now, another thought I had. As I was reading these passages, 
I want to look at verse 37, all the way back to the top. Verse 37. But despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. This one just stuck to me. I'm sure, I imagine John sitting there writing this, right? At some point he sat down and he wrote this. Maybe he had a scribe. I don't know how it worked exactly. But as he's sitting there writing, he's wondering as we would do. He's asking why different things happen. I would believe he would ask why these people didn't believe. Maybe even John, why did he write this? I mean, this, this is kind of stuck in the middle of here. It's kind of, it's a little unique actually, this story here. Maybe John was feeling discouraged to seeing all the other people's unbelief. Maybe he saw some that said they believed, but they didn't confess that Jesus was the Lord of their life. We see that today. Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, but they don't really confess the Lord, Jesus is the Lord of their life. There is a difference. Perhaps like so many of us, we face discouragement, right? I think John faced it. We all face it. As each one of us follow and walk out in the call that God has placed on each one of us, we face different discouragements. I remember looking back, I'll tell you a quick little story. And I was struggling with people when I first became a Christian. I couldn't, they, they weren't happy I was a Christian. And I couldn't understand this. I'm like, why wouldn't they be happy? Why would they be against me to be a Christian? I mean, I was such a better person. A lot of the major things in my life had been removed. I was being a better father, a better husband, a better member of society. My whole life, I was, it was better. Why? Some people, actually, my friends turned away from me. They didn't even want to be with me anymore. Why? I struggled with this. I couldn't understand why someone would be against me becoming a Christian. Now, I went to my pastor at that time. I said, why? Why do these people, they, like, they hate what I've done. They hate me now. I've become a Christian. Why? I mean, I'm living an upright life. So he took me to John chapter 15. Let's turn there. Verses 18 and 19. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it. But you are no longer part of this world. I chose you to come out of this world, so it hates you. What do you think? It's clear God knew this is how people would react to those that have become born again. Now, it was hard for me to accept that. But, I mean, you th- why would people hate me for my faith? I wasn't doing anything to them besides being a better person. I wasn't out there. At that time in my life, I wasn't out there preaching to them or doing, you know. I didn't even know what to preach at that time hardly. But... When I read this scripture, and my pastor showed me this scripture, it was reassuring to me, knowing that Jesus faced the same trials, and knowing that God knew that I would face this type of persecution. He knew it 2,000 years ago. He wrote this to me. I don't know about you guys. Now, maybe this is how John felt after reading Isaiah, right? We quoted that earlier. 
we saw. Maybe he was feeling disappointment seeing all those around him and all the unbelief that was around him. I know when I read this and I read many other scriptures, I find refuge in God's word. And I said, God already knew this. This isn't a surprise. And I think John maybe felt the same way. I know I need to look and remember these truths as I serve in ministry. And this goes for any one of us, no matter how we serve or what we do. We need to look at these. And Jesus himself, remember this, as we're out there witnessing and we're out there doing what God's called us to do, to to minister to the nations, to preach the gospel. Remember, Jesus himself came here. He taught. He performed many miracles and often very many miracles. Yet this scripture says many still did not come to faith. It said they didn't believe. And others still wouldn't come forward and profess their faith. So I can share with you my heart today and tell you that it's difficult. It's so hard to pour into people's lives, to give everything you are, and sometimes just to see unbelief, no fruit. It's hard. It's very, very hard sometimes. You just pour into people, nothing. Or maybe they're like some of these that actually did believe, but they never profess. But when I read passages like these today, I'm reminded that Jesus and the disciples faced the exact same trials. I'm not alone. We're not alone in this. It's difficult. It's hard. And I also got to remember, this is the part we got to remember. It is my responsibility to be faithful in sharing the gospel. It's all of ours. We are commanded to do that. We are to share the gospel. And we're continually to reach out to the lost. All of us. We're called to do that. Every single person here. But I'll tell you, I, I'm not responsible for their unbelief. And that's hard for me sometimes because I, I feel responsible a lot. If I'd have done it better, if I'd have shared differently, if I'd, maybe if I'd just not given up on them, maybe if I'd have just called them or texted them one more time, I can go on and on and on. But I can't. I'm not responsible for their rejection of Jesus Christ. My responsibility is to share the love of Jesus Christ with them. And I read this and I see how their hearts were hardened. Some people's hearts are hardened. It's hard to, it's hard to hear that sometimes. It's hard. So as we close this message, as we go out this door into the mission field, let's remember what Jesus is told us about what it is to believe. We went through that whole list. Remember how we are to respond if we say we believe. We are to respond to Jesus in such a way that it will draw others to know Jesus' love. It will draw others to come to faith and believe in Jesus. That's how we are to respond. That's how we are to believe in such a way That it's a testimony to everyone around us of who Jesus Christ is. But again, I can't I can't take that responsibility for their choices. And I say that because it's just it's hard for me. It's I mean I my closest best friend, he's not saved. He comes to church with me, he's listening to my messages, he's not saved. And he's my best friend. It's not on me, but I still have a responsibility to continue to share the gospel with him.
but I can't accept responsibility for his unbelief. And so, interesting message. I don't know. It's just kind of what the Lord laid on my heart. Maybe some of you deal with that. I don't know. But I find it very personal um, to share with others. And I find a personal responsibility always to share who Jesus is. And then I take it personal, too, when I see people and I see their lives and they just, I can't seem to communicate. I can't seem to show them. I can't seem to, no matter what I do, I can't seem to get through to them who Jesus really is, that they well profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So I thank you. Um, I want to pray, and the worship team could head up here. And uh, we'll be back continuing this uh, story next week, and then the week after, Gaunzan will be giving us a message. I'm excited about that. So please pray with me as the worship team heads up. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord. Just for your truths and you leading us to show us what it is to believe, Lord. Lord, I just pray that each of us, if we head out to this door, as we head out into the lives that you've called each one of us, Lord, that people would see our belief in you, Lord. That it would be a testimony of who you are. That our lives would be an example that we are believers in Jesus. And that would lead people to be curious and wonder. So, Lord, I just thank you, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that my life would be that example. Lord, I thank you so much. I just praise your name. I thank you for this time, this fellowship. I thank you for your word. Please just bless our week, Lord, as we I was talking about earlier, how we get up each day and we try to do what you've called us to do, and yet... I seem to fail each day, Lord, but I would just continue to turn to you. I continue to cry out to you and say, Lord, here I am. I messed that up. Let's start over, Lord. Let me be the person that you've called me to be. I thank you, Lord. Please watch over us all this week and protect us and be with us and just lead us with you by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.